Hi, this is the official podcast of Riverside International Church in Lisbon. Riverside is an international, contemporary, caring, and Christ-centered community. Our vision is to significantly impact the country of Portugal and the regions beyond with the gospel. Thank you for listening to us, and we hope that your life will be impacted by these teachings. God bless. But good morning. Uh, I'm going to be speaking to you today, and um, I've been praying throughout the week on what God wanted to, to speak, uh, what God wanted to share to us and to our hearts to encourage us. And these are certainly strange times that we're living in. Uh, if you asked us about a month ago or told us about a month ago that we'd be having church online here in our living room, uh, we wouldn't have believed it. We wouldn't have thought it was actually going to happen. But, but this is where we're at. And I don't know about you, but uh, in the past two, two weeks about, the Word of God has become so much more vivid in my life. As I've said before, one thing is to know about God being a comforter. Another thing is to know His comfort. One thing is hearing about God's faithfulness and, and reading about God's faithfulness. Another thing is living in complete and utter dependence on His faithfulness. And I know that in the past week, God has been bringing us and drawing us closer to Him, and I pray that that has been happening for you. It's been a pleasure, and it's been, it's been so special to get together as a church and to pray to Him together every evening. But in a time like this, there's nothing better that we can do as pastors than to preach the Word of God. Even if it's through a camera, even if it's slightly uncomfortable for me not to have you all here with me and, and to do it through a camera, but there's nothing better that I can do than to preach the Word of God. Because in a time where there's so many videos and, and information and misinformation, the unknown and, and so many preoccupations and, and everything that's happening around us, it's the Word of God that really brings truth. It's the Word of God that, that brings us hope. It's the Word of God that brings us joy, that brings us peace. It's the Word of God mm. that brings us back into alignment of who God is and who we are in Him. And so today we're going to continue uh, in our message series called Characters. I don't know if you've had um, the opportunity to, to listen to the past messages, but we began the series with Samson. Reuben preached about Samson, and, and after that I went through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And last week, Reuben preached to us about David. Today I'm going to speak to us about Elijah. Now, Elijah's story, I'm not going to go through his whole life, although God did pretty incredible things throughout his life. I'm just going to look at one portion of his life. And his story, it, it reminds us that no matter how desperate things look, no matter how crazy things look, God is still sovereign, God is still in control, and God is still good. His story, it shows us that, that God can do something beautiful out of the ashes. That when the, 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 the things that are known, when the things that are normal are shifted and our whole structure is, is switched around, God can do something new. God can do something incredible for his glory. Right, so the Bible introduces Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. I don't know if you have your Bibles, but I would encourage you to, to get your Bibles out. We have the, the slides here, but if you're home, which I know you are, <laughs> go and get your Bibles and, and open it up to 1 Kings Chapter 17, verse 1. This is what it says. A prophet named Elijah the Tishbite from the inhabitants in Gilead said to King Ahab, In the name of the Lord, the living God of Israel, before whom I stand, I tell you that there will be no dew or rain for the next two or three years until I say so. 
this is how the Bible introduces Elijah. But before we get into Elijah, we have to understand the context a little bit, and we have to understand who this King Ahab is. This is who Elijah is speaking to. So the story takes place about a hundred years after David. And, and although David might have been a man after God's own heart, his descendants were further and further from it. The Bible says that, that David's grandson, he loses the kingdom of Israel and it gets split into two. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, when God first chooses Abraham and he says, I'm, I'm choosing you and I'm going to bless you so that you may be a blessing. And Abraham has a, a son named Isaac and Isaac has a son named Jacob and Jacob has 12 sons. And so the Israelite nation is composed of these 12 tribes, each according to one of these sons. And then when, when God takes these 12 tribes of Israel, he takes them into the promised land so that they may be a blessing. Eventually they ask God for a king and so God gives them Saul. And Saul sins against the Lord and so God raises up David. And David is a king, one of the greatest kings of Israel. But like I said, his descendants were not faithful to God. And so King David has a son named Solomon, and Solomon has a son named Rehoboam, and Rehoboam sins against the Lord, and the kingdom is divided into two. And so the southern kingdom, you have Judah. And Judah, um, Judah is composed of two tribes. And then the northern kingdom is called Israel, and the northern kingdom is composed of ten tribes. And this is the kingdom that King Ahab is reigning over. About 100, 130 years after David, King Ahab is reigning over the kingdom of Israel. So this is what the Bible has to say about this king. Ready? In 1 Kings chapter 16, it says, In the 38th year of the reign of King Azza of Judah, so King Azza is reigning over the southern kingdom of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, become, became king of Israel, the northern kingdom. And he ruled in Samaria for 22 years. He sinned against the Lord more than any of his predecessors. Now this is a statement. King Ahab sinned against the Lord more than any of his predecessors. It was not enough for him to sin like King Jeroboam. He went further and married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal of Sidon, and worshipped Baal. Ahab was a sinful leader. By now, the people of God, the nation of Israel, had completely turned its back on God. They couldn't care less about His law. They couldn't care less about, about His voice. They couldn't care less about God's heart. They had completely shoved God out of every area of society. They shoved Him out of education. They shoved Him out of health. They shoved Him out of their family life. They shoved Him out of entertainment. They couldn't care less about who God was and His plan for them. And King Ahab, not only was he sinful, but, but he went a step further. God had told the Israelites, don't marry outside of Israel. Don't marry foreigners. And, and Ahab went a step further, and he marries a woman named Jezebel. The Bible says that Jezebel was a son of the king of Sidon. Sidon was known to be an evil place, to be a, a place of immorality, a place that, that didn't respect or show any reverence to the one true God. And so by, by making this alliance with this place, this province of Phoenicia, maybe King Ahab was bringing economic prosperity to Israel, but by doing so, he was also bringing a whole lot 
of paganism mm. into the nation. And he was leading and driving Israel further and further away from God. Now not only were they were they deep into paganism and, and, and worshiping a ton of different idols, especially the false god of Baal, but they were now persecuting those who are still faithful to God. So this is the scenario. This is the context, the spiritual context that we find ourselves in, in our story. And I've been reading through the one-year Bible plan, and, and I have to admit that the first five books are, are hard to get through. <laughs> They're extremely repetitive. God is saying over and over again who he is and what his plan is for us and what he's done for the Israelites. And, and it's really repetitive, but, but as you get to know the course of Israel's life, as you get to know their actions and, and their tendencies, you start to understand why God is so repetitive. Why God has to tell them over and over who he is and what he wants for their lives. Because we're just the same. We're so quick to turn away from God. We're so quick to, when things are good, we're, 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 it's easy to worship, but when things get bad, all of a sudden it's a little harder. Or even when things are good, it's easier to forget God and it's easier to just get into our routines and our jobs and our careers and God is kind of pushed to the side. And so, and so God is still faithful though. God is still persistent. You see, God isn't a God that, that creates us and then leaves us to be. The same God who created you, the same God who, who gives you life is the God who wants relationship with you. He didn't just create us. He didn't just create the, the nation of Israel to, to then just do their own thing. God created us to be in intimate relationship with him, to live a life of abundance that, that lives to glorify his name. And so God is persistent. And even when we turn away to draw us back to him, to bring us back to him. And so that's what God does. As Israel turns away from him, as Ahab does evil in God's eyes, as people's hearts were far away from God, God's faithful and persistent love, even to those who sin against him, tries to draw them back to him. And he uses a man named Elijah to do that. So we know Elijah, and maybe you've heard about Elijah as this incredible Bible character, and he is. But the Bible introduces him in verse 1 of our chapter today as Elijah the Tishbite from Gilead. There's nothing special about Gilead. Gilead was just desert lands. And the word Tishbite, it comes from, it comes from the word stranger. So Elijah's name is literally Elijah the Stranger. There's nothing remarkable, there's nothing special about this guy in particular. And yet God chooses him for such a time as that with such an incredible purpose. And we start to understand why God chose him right in verse 1. There's so much in verse 1 that we can unpack. In the midst of a godless society, in a time of complete and utter darkness, this is Elijah's posture. It says, in the name of the Lord, this is what Elijah says to the king, in the name of the Lord, the living God of Israel before whom I stand. So despite the circumstance, despite how difficult things looked, despite how spiritually dead everyone around him was, despite how far away they were from God, Elijah knew whom he belonged to. He proclaimed the name of the living God. He was fully convinced, living by faith of what he knew to be true and not by sight, saying, my God is alive. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I think that in these trying times, in these times that we've never lived through in our generation, even as you're home and as you're quarantined, as you're, as you're far away from everybody around you, and as things look so desperate, if you think about them, as the economy might be collapsing, as our health is not guaranteed, so many things are happening. I, I think we need to be reminded that our God is alive. We need to be reminded no matter what other people think. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But we know that he lives. And the church gathers all over the world, even if it's online, to say and to proclaim that our God is alive. Our God is still able. Our God is still moving. Our God is still working in our lives. As Reuben was saying, he's still working all things together for the good of those who love him. God is still able to save. God is still able to redeem. God is still able to reach out to his people. God is alive to heal, to move, to work, to make something new in the wilderness. God is alive to work. And then Elijah positions himself. So he's standing right in front of King Ahab, the greatest leader in Israel at this point. And he says, I come in the name of the living God before whom I stand. He positions himself. He takes consciousness of the presence of God. And I think we, we need to take consciousness of the presence of God. Yes, we, we pray for our governors. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our doctors. We pray for people to come up with solutions for what we're living. We pray for God to use and for God to move through people. But we answer ultimately to God. We answer to his presence. We put our trust in God. We put our future in God. And what an amazing God he is. This is what God says to us in Exodus 33, 14. My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. So no matter where you are today, no matter who or what you're facing, no matter the trial, take consciousness of the presence of God, the presence of God in your home, the presence of God in your heart, this presence that will give you the confidence, that will give you the courage, and that will give you the peace and the rest that you need today. The God before whom I stand. And so why the drought? Elijah is sent by God to come um, on this, he's sent by God on this terrifying mission to tell King Ahab that it's not going to rain for the next two to three years. Now this wasn't just any announcement. For an agrarian society like Israel was, this was devastating news. A drought would mean destruction. A drought would be devastating. A drought would completely shift and affect everybody's livelihoods. It would affect their economy. It would affect their health. It would affect their livelihoods. It would affect every aspect of life. You see, this was a nation. In this particular context, God had chosen Israel and he had said, I have chosen you to, be, to bless you so that you may be a blessing. God had a specific purpose for this nation. And yet, here they were, choosing to completely turn away from him. Worshipping Baal involved prostitution. It involved child sacrifice and all sorts of horrible practices. And Baal was worshipped as the god of fertility and the god of rainstorms. He was the protector of crops and livestock. So as Israel chose to increasingly put their trust in Baal, at one point God just says, fine. And he hands them over to their own idolatry. 
It says in Psalm 81 verse 12, But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. See, God does not impose himself on us. God will not override our will. There comes a point where if we choose to make our own decisions, God is not going to stop us. And so though it hurt his God, he watched as the Israelites put their trust in their money, in their own resources, in their own intelligence. He watched as they built society on their own value system. He stood by as they turned from him, as they despised his word, as they built altars to false gods and goddesses. Until finally in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, God's relentless faithfulness, even to sinners, is demonstrated once again. And he sends Elijah on a mission to draw his people back to his own heart. So as you can imagine, when Elijah delivers this message to King Ahab, uh, the king and his wife Jezebel were not pleased. Immediately, Elijah is branded as an enemy of the state. They're out to get him. They're out to kill him. The Bible says that King Ahab referred to Elijah as a troubler of Israel. And so in verse 2, we read, this is what God says to Elijah. He says, leave this place and go east and hide yourself near Cherith Brook, east of the Jordan. The brook will supply you with water to drink, and I have commanded ravens, birds, to bring you food there. Elijah obeyed the Lord's command and went and stayed by Cherith Brook. He drank water from the brook. Brook is just a stream, a small stream of water. And ravens brought him bread and meat every morning and every evening. So, so God gives Elijah this terrifying task. Elijah obeys. And then the king and the queen are out to get him. And God's plan is to tell Elijah, go to this cherith brook where ravens, where birds are going to bring you food to eat. And, and this brook is going to give you water to drink. It's an unlikely plan. It's kind of a strange plan. It's an unpredictable plan. I'm sure that's not really what Elijah had in mind that God would do. But it's a plan of provision. It's a plan where, where God was going to provide. And, and the thing is that when God calls you to do something, no matter how unpredictable the plan, no matter how strange the conditions, God is going to provide. God is going to take care. God is going to be there for you. When he calls you to do something, God will take care of you. And I, I thought it was interesting this week as we, made, we were making hampers for, the, for the Lisbon, some of the Lisbon Project families that, um, that have lost their jobs or, and are in a tough situation. And we were making these food hampers to try to help in some way. And we were writing um, cards to them. And in these cards, we wrote Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And as I was writing this verse to unbelievers, I thought, wow, so these people have lost their job. Many of them have no access to benefits. They're far away from their family. They have kids to feed. Their future is so unknown. And we're telling them, the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. And how much more for believers is this a command for us? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, come to God with your requests. Pray to him with thanksgiving, and his presence will give you rest. God will provide. 
when he calls you to something, God will provide. Trust him. Be anxious about nothing. So Elijah was healthy, Elijah was safe, and Elijah was cared for. Until we get to verse 7. 1 Kings 17, verse 7. It says, after a while, the brook dried up because of the lack of rain. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So, so God called Elijah to do something so bold, so courageous, so outrageous, and he obeyed. He was faithful. And yet here he is, depending on God for food and for drink to eat, to, or and for food and for water to drink. And next thing, the brook that he, I mean, this sub, small stream of water, that's what he depends on to live. This is the place that God has brought him to provide for him. And next thing, he starts seeing this brook of water drying up. And the question is, what do we do? What do we do when we've been faithful to God, when, when we've worshipped God, when we've put Him first in our lives, and God has provided the next thing, our brook of provision starts to dry up before our very eyes, and there's nothing that we can do about it. What do we do when we've obeyed God, when we've put Him at the center of our lives, and all of a sudden, our resources start to dwindle? What do we do when the job that he has given us, it's taken away, when our health is on the line, when our relationships are under stress, when we're quarantined in an isolated house, no contact with anybody else? What do we do when our brook starts to dry up? Where is God and what do we do? I know that so many of you are struggling through this pandemic. The coronavirus is unlike anything that we've lived through. It's like a drought that is drying up our brooks of provision. What do we do? Firstly, we can learn from Elijah. Listen. 1 Kings 17, verse 8, we continue reading in the story. The brook dried up, and then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Listen to the word of God. You see, your brook will only ever dry up if God allows it to, and because God is wanting to do something new. When everything starts to dry, when what was working isn't working anymore, when what was normal is not normal anymore, when, when the found, our very foundations are shifted and shaken, when his gifts are taken away, listen to the giver. Look to hear his voice and the new that he has in store. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Every night we've been getting together as a church to pray. And in these trying times, no matter what others think or believe, no matter if they believe there is a God, no matter if they think that God is dead, we are proclaiming, declaring that we come in the name of the living God. We are positioning ourselves, we're taking consciousness of His presence, His presence that is alive and well, His presence that has power to heal, His presence that has power to, to, to bless and to provide. We're asking God, we're listening to His voice saying, God, what is the new that you want to do? God, how do you want to change our hearts? God, how do you want to use us? What are you doing in Portugal and around the world? We're, we're asking God, where are you leading us next? And we pray because the word says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In Psalm 34, 4, it says, I sought the Lord 
and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. See, God was about to do something new with Elijah. He wanted to use his life. He wanted to use Elijah to reach out to a widow and her son. He was about to demonstrate his faithfulness, his love, his comfort, his provision to a family that was losing hope. And this brook had to dry up for God to continue using Elijah and lead him to the place, to the family, to the heart that he wanted to reach. When your brook dries up, number one, listen. Number two, obey. So God tells Elijah in verse eight to go to the place called Zarephath, where he would use, he says, I'm commanding you, okay, your brook is dried up, I'm commanding you, go to a place called Zarephath, where I've commanded a widow to provide for you. Now there's two very wrong things with that plan. First of all, the place, and secondly, the method, the place, Zarephath. Apart from Ahab, there was only one other person that hated Elijah more. Her name was Jezebel. And if, and if we pay attention, Jezebel was the daughter of the king of Sidon. Zarephath is in the very province of Sidon. So basically what God is telling Elijah is, okay, Elijah, I'm going to provide for you, and I need you to go right to the hometown of the enemy that you're running away from. I need you to go right to the place where you're going to be more vulnerable, where you're going to be most at risk. That's where I'm going to provide for you. You see, God is making it clear over and over and over again that he is not conditioned to what's happening. He's not conditioned to our societal limitations. He is able to bring blessing and breakthrough right in the center of your chaos. He's able to bring healing right in the midst of sickness. He's able to, to do the unimaginable. He's able to bless your family right in the middle of your storm, right in the middle of your drought. That's where God is able to move. He's able to set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. This is what David says in Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Go to Zarephath. I know that it may seem scary to you. I, may that, I know that it may not seem logical to you. It may not seem reasonable to you. But go to Zarephath because that's where I want to provide for you. And the second thing that's wrong with that plan is the method. God says, go to Zarephath because I have commanded, I have determined that a widow is going to provide for you. A widow. You would think that God would have chosen somebody with more resources to be the solution for Elijah. Widows were known to be poor, especially in a time of drought. It wasn't a very promising plan. And when Elijah arrives there, the Bible says that as he arrives, he realizes that the plan and the situation is much worse than anything that he could have thought. When he gets to the town gate, the Bible says in verse 12, he sees a widow gathering some sticks. And so he calls out to her and he says, please, can you give me some water and some bread? And the woman replies, I don't have any bread. I just have some flour and some oil and I'm just gathering some sticks because I'm going to go home. I'm going to make my last meal for me and my son and, and really we're just going to prepare to die. But in everything, no matter how strange the plan was, Elijah's walk with the Lord is one of obedience. God's plan may have seemed unreasonable, yet Elijah hears his command 
and he consistently follows. He consistently obeys. So let's read what happens. Elijah says to her in reply to, to what she had just said to him, he says, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf of bread for me, or first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Again, we see God's faithfulness, his relentless love. God took Elijah all the way from his home. God takes Elijah to a, a brook where he provides for him and, and God allows that brook to dry up. God tells Elijah, go to the, the hometown of your enemy. Go to the place where you're going to be most at risk. He travels all the way there. God does all of this. All to tell a woman who has lost everything. All to tell a woman who is hopeless, who is going to prepare to die. Do you know, do you know how much pain that is? Do you know how, how terrible the situation must have been for her to say, I'm just going to prepare a meal, a last meal for me and my son, and we're going to prepare to die. Do you know how heartbreaking that is for a mother? She is in a hopeless situation. God has done all of this, taken Elijah all to this place to tell a woman, do not be afraid. God was wanting to do something new in her life. God was wanting to reach her with his love, with his comfort, with the power of his provision. But it required Elijah's obedience, even in the midst of his greatest need. See, there's people all around you right now that are in the middle of crisis. There's people all around you who find themselves alone, who are losing hope, who look at their future, who look at the next month and they don't know what's gonna happen, who look at their children and they don't know how they're gonna provide for them. There's people all around you who do not know God, who are far from God, and who just need to hear the words, do not be afraid. I know that it's not an easy time for any of us, but I want to encourage you that when you find yourself in a place of need, don't stay at the brook. Don't complain in your hunger. Listen to God. Listen to his word. Listen to the, the promptings of his word. Listen to what he's wanting to do. Listen to the new that he's wanting to do. Listen to the place. Listen to the people that he's leading you to next. God is wanting to use you to reach others with his love, with his faithfulness, with his comfort, with his provision. God's wanting to use us as believers to bring peace, to bring miracle power into hopeless situations. This is a time for God to use the church more than ever to demonstrate his faithfulness and his love. Even in a time of drought. And so the jar of flour, it was not used up. God miraculously multiplied. The flour wasn't used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. And if you continue reading in this chapter, in 1 Kings chapter 17, you, you see that a few more things happened and Elijah kept ministering to this family. Elijah kept praying over this family. Eventually in verse 24, the widow declares, 
Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Through this time, my prayer is that our neighbors may declare that the Lord we profess is the truth. Through this time, I pray that our colleagues from work may witness the power of God in your life, and they may declare, wow, now I know that the word that comes from your mouth is the truth. The God that you worship, the God that you follow is the truth. I pray that it is in this time that our families may experience the provision of God, and that together we may declare, wow, now I know that our God is the one true God. It's time to pray. Church, it's time to pray for God. How do you want to use us? God, what do you want to change in our hearts? But where are you leading us? Who do you want me to speak to? Who do you want me to encourage? Who do you want me to provide for? Who do you want me to donate to financially? Who do you want me to, to give a hand to? God, show us. How do you want to use us? How do you want to use us to be a channel of your faithfulness, to be a channel of your love, your mercy, your forgiveness? God, who do you want to reach? Who do you want to speak to? And how do you want to use me to do it? Don't stay at the brook. Even when it seems like the brook of provision is drying up. Even when it seems like, like the very things that God has provided for you are being taken away. Don't stay there. Don't complain in your need. Listen to the word of God and obey. Obey the word of God. God might just be using you to reach out to others with his love. I'm going to call... Um, Pedro and Jamil to lead us in worship and um, I don't know what you're going through at home I don't know how you're feeling I don't know how your heart has been but I pray that this morning that you will pray to God listening to his word and being ready to obey him ready to obey wherever he takes you, ready to, to reach out to whoever he wants you to reach out to. And we're gonna sing this song in it, and it says, Lord, I, I pray that you will do it again. The song says, I've seen you move, but I wanna see you move again. And God continued to move over and over in Elijah's life. God did so many miracles through Elijah's life. That wasn't it. That was just a portion of his life. God kept using him and moving through him to reach people, to show God's power and faithfulness. God kept using Elijah, and I pray that we will be as Elijah was. That we will be leaders in this generation. That we will be examples in this generation. That people will look to us and that they will see God's power, God's faithfulness, God's love, God's mercy alive and active in our lives. This is a time of need. This is a time of crisis. This is a time where so much is happening that I don't have answers for, that none of us have answers for. I don't know why God is allowing this to happen. I don't know why God is allowing this virus to, to isolate us in our houses. I don't know why, why God is allowing so many to suffer. I don't know. But even in this time of need, our God is sovereign, our God is good, and our God is able to do something new. Yeah. Our God is able to bring his miracle power into hopeless situations. Our God is able to comfort even the desperate heart. And he wants to use you to do that. So let's worship together. Let's pray.
Let's listen and let's be ready to obey. that God has touched your heart with the message that he wants to tell us. If you would like to be updated with the things that are happening in our church, you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Riverside Lisbon. Thank you for listening.